guys. My name is Jessica. Welcome to Unveiling the Scriptures podcast with Pastor Steve and his son, Jared Curtis. Tonight, uh, they're going to dig deeper into the book of Revelation. So grab your Bibles and let's join them. Welcome to another episode of Unveiling the Scriptures. And Jared, we're going through the book of Revelation. And so far, I mean, we're barely into this incredible book. And it's just a really, really a powerful book. God, I for me anyway, God speaks to me through it. And uh, I'm encouraged about uh, getting into actually the, we're, we're in, we've done already two of the churches, the church of Ephesus, that, that church was a church that, that was doctrinally solid. Uh, however, Jesus says, you've lost your first love. And, uh, and then the church of Smyrna was a church that they thought they were poor. And Jesus said, you are rich, but you are rich. And, uh, so he goes through these churches and in these churches, he's, um, he's identifying, he's evaluating them, uh, what's going on, what's good. He always starts out with the good, you know, and then he says, if there's bad in it, hey, there's some things that we need to work on, some things we need to um, take care of. And, and because the whole book's really exciting because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's, we started out talking about Christ, chapter one, and then chapters two and three, we're going through the churches and these churches um, uh, represent, I believe, the churches of today. I think you can find churches like the Church of Ephesus who've lost their first love, or you go over into some countries, third world countries, or um, or Islamic countries, and some of these churches uh, are going through the same kind of suffering as the Church of Smyrna. And tonight, Jared, if we if you can, we want to look at the Church of Pergamum, or some of the translations say Pergamus. Or the church of and the church of Thyatira. Now, the church of Thyatira. This is the longest one, so we hopefully can get through both of these tonight. But it's a fascinating study, and uh, I'm excited to open the uh, the word, the the pages of God's word, and to hopefully learn something ourselves, and hopefully those that are watching or listening will glean from as well. And I would just want to encourage, excuse me, encourage any, uh, everyone who's reading this um, not to uh, not to kind of disassociate or push themselves outside of the picture, looking at these churches as something that's distant from them that they're just reading about some other church. Because not only do we see churches like this today, we can see representations of all these churches in one church. Mm-hmm. today right you know we right. could walk into our own church a southeast community church and there's there's some people that m- may be struggling that they've lost their first love there may be you know that they they at one time were in a strong relationship with christ and they uh, for whatever reason they've they've walked away they've turned away they've allowed uh sin to um you know to to uh, blur their vision and, and and disrupt the path that that god wants to lead them down um, there may be some that that feel 
like the Church of Smyrna, that they feel they're that the weight of the world is too much and that they're constantly being, uh, you know, they're feeling that that pressure of life and the pressure of sin in the world and they're holding on fast to God and sometimes feeling like, I, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know if, you know, I, I just feel like every day I'm just grasping hold and, and God's telling them today through the same scripture, well, hang in there, just hang in there. You're, you're rich, what you're doing is great. You're trusting in me and it doesn't always feel that way. Have you know, rest in the peace that I give. And and so moving into um, Pergamum, there's going to be people that sit in, in, in our church services that sit in you know, other church services here in the county that are experiencing these things. There's people in, in all of these congregations. So it's an opportunity for us to realistically look at ourselves because, again, we are, we are what Christ has determined to be the church. The body is the people that he calls together mm-hmm. to worship him, to follow him, to carry out his word. And so we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to take on the, the, um, the, the commendations and the condemnations <laughs> that are handed right. out here by Jesus to <clears throat> say, okay, does this hold true in my life? Uh-huh. Me personally, am I one that is walking this out? Can can Christ look at me and say, uh-huh. "Here's you're doing this well," and and He will show us uh-huh. if we are missing the mark as some of these churches are. So as we dive in and continue to talk about these churches, I just want to kind of challenge or encourage uh, anybody who's listening to, to to honestly put yourself in that in the seat of that church right, and to say, right. is this something that's going on in my and, life? And as I go through this as a pastor, I look and, and I say, are, is our church experiencing any of this? If You know, what I think is really interesting, when Christ evaluates the church, these churches, excuse me, he doesn't evaluate them based on what we in America evaluate a business or anything, You're not how many or how much. He, he looks at Deeper than that, he looks at their character, mm-hmm. and 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 the size of the church doesn't matter. the The style of the church really doesn't matter. the The uh, economic status of the church doesn't matter. What matters is: are they people who are genuinely following Christ, or are they playing church? You know, is this a real? Is this a living church, or is this a dead church? And we'll get to that. Uh, I was listening to um, I listened to different guys on on the Book of Revelation, and what's interesting when he talks about these churches, he says like the Church of Ephesus is the church that lost its first love. He says when you lo- lose your first love, he says what happens next is you begin to allow compromise, which we'll talk about in the Church of Pergamum, and then you begin to tolerate sin in your life, which the church of Thyatira. And then as, as James 1.15 says, is when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Uh, the church of Sardis, which we won't get to tonight, but they were considered a dead church. So um, not only, again, can we look at our churches, but again, as you said, look at our own hearts. You know, are we compromising? Are we tolerating sin? You know, have we lost our first love? And I think when we are able to allow the Spirit of God to 
do that evaluation. Hopefully, the neat thing is that when you evaluate it, he gives some remedies here. Yep. He gives some direction. So, um, unless you got something else to say, no, let's move let's right into the Church of Pergamum. And do you want me to go ahead and read that? Yeah, sure. Okay, I got to put these glasses on. Okay. <laughs> And to the church, angel of the church in Pergamum, that word angel again is the word messenger. I believe he's, I do believe he's speaking to pastors, the leader of the churches. So he says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And I think we find this uh, in, I think in chapter one, where he gives the vision of who Christ is. It looks like it's a, a two-edged sword in verse 16. And, uh, in other words, I come to this church with a kind of judgment in my mouth, you know, and he and he talks about the the two edged sword, uh, and you have you well, you did a message not too long ago, and you talked about this two edged sword as opposed to maybe in Hebrews four twelve when it talks about more of a scalpel, mm-hmm. you know, that a surgeon would use. Uh, 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 this is a little bit different. Why don't you share with us how how what this two edged sword? We know that it represents the words of Christ, but what what it was in that day. Well, this would be um, this would actually be one of a couple things. So, in in this particular passage, the way that it's going to be understood is more of a broadsword. So you look at you know when we look at those those I'm going to use the word great, but take that with a grain of salt. Great movies like Conan the Barbarian and things like right when they got those huge swords and. and that is the picture. It's not the the smaller, um, close quarters, like you said, like a, a surgeon's scalpel or something that would be used to, <clears throat> like, slice meat. This is for total destruction, mm. right? So the idea behind it is is um, just to annihilate. And then some other, when, when you look at the word that's used there, some other versions of it, too, um, it's going to be roughly about six foot could be anywhere from three to six foot long, but in some cases, half of that six foot would be a blade, so it could even be used as like a like a spear mm. or javelin type mm-hmm. um, uh, instrument of of uh, warfare. And so, it's not something that again that is going to be real precise. It's not something. It's no. It's something that's coming to separate, to annihilate, to destroy, to to um, to take out, and so. I, what I find really cool about this, so sometimes we have to sit back and, and look at just how fascinating these letters are. So Jesus dictates to John this picture, not even dictates, but he shows him this picture. So John sees this picture of Jesus, and it's like Jesus says, I need you to see who I am, and and. And this crazy imagery, this giant sword coming from his mouth and the eyes on fi- of fire and the white hair and, and the clothing. And, and it's all very specific and it all has a purpose and, 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 a, and a message to communicate. But Jesus shows up in this way to tell John, this part of me. I need you to share to this church. This, this part of me. Right. I need you to share. So. So then what we get to here is is right away Jesus says, so to the church of Pergamum, this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the, the judgment and destruction 
that I can bring. That's who I want you to see me as in this situation. And I really do think that it, it's important for us to get this full picture of who Jesus is because we sell ourselves short as far as our relationship with Christ goes when we don't take the time to learn who he is in totality. And I know we talked about that in, in chapter one in seeing, you know, King Jesus, the the high priest, the one that's returned in power and, and, and might. And so we already kind of talked about this, but it's still, it's so easy for us to, to not see a full picture of Jesus and miss out on so much. And we, we like to stay away from the idea of judgment. We like to stay away from the idea of a Jesus that would destroy. But what we have to remember, and, and we're going to get into it as we walk through this, is that Jesus has interest in destroying one thing, mm. and that's sin. Right. That's it. Right. And so, as you mentioned earlier, Jesus it comes in saying, I'm going to take this out. But he calls for repentance. He calls for people to return to him, to, to come back to your first love, to, to turn to me. And so the very first thing he says here, moving in to his, his letter to Pergamum is, okay, so I'm the Jesus with the two-edged sword. Like, you need to know that this is who is approaching you now. This is who is standing before you now. This is who is calling you mm-hmm. to, um, to, to order mm-hmm. now. And so we've got that picture of, again, not baby Jesus, not, not even the crucified Savior, but mm-hmm. we've got the, there's some reckoning that has to take place. And so that's the picture the we get. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the picture we get with this, with the, the two-edged short sword, the sharp two-edged sword is, is there's power. But when I think it goes back to the gospel, and, and what I mean by that is when, when we look at Jesus or we look at God, we, we, we say, well, God is love. And he is. Certainly. He, he is the fullness of love. He is love. But also the Bible teaches us God is just. And justice, uh, all, when justice is served, there's generally judgment mm-hmm. that has to take place. Well, God looks upon us and he sees us as sinners, lost. And the just um, payment for our sin, of course, is judgment, hell. But God so loved the world. And so, so how does this justice that because of our sin we're guilty that will invoke judgment can be, how can this be the same God of love? Well, the, 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 the thing is about God is God is just, but again, he's love. So he looks at us in our sin and he says, how can I take care? How can I make this just? How can I make this right? And the only way he can make it right is when he becomes our judgment. He becomes the one who makes us just. He, he does the doc, what I call the doctrine of imputation, which means, you know, here, here's in my hand is, is, the, is the sin of Steve Curtis. And so God can't look upon the sin of Steve Curtis so I, I, he comes to me and he says, I, I will give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
So that now when a just God looks at Steve Curtis, he no longer sees the sin of Steve Curtis, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we forget that that God's love isn't just, oh, you're nice. Oh, it's, it, it, it costs him his son's life. It costs him uh, himself, uh, who Christ, excuse me, Jesus Christ on the cross, paying the full price, in other words, experiencing the full payment for our sins so that we could be with him, so that we could worship him. And, uh, and so when he comes here, he's talking to a church who has heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. He's talking to a church that has heard about the love of God. However, they're not, they're not seeking God. They're seeking themselves, and we'll see here and just mm-hmm. compromise. There are some good things that they do, but um, did you have anything else to add to no, that? Let's, okay. let's roll. So Jesus says this to, to the church of Pergamum. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think a couple things that we need to note here. One of them is he talks about Satan's throne. In other words, where they lived in a place where, again, Roman uh, emperor worship was taking place, uh, and then where Satan dwells in this church. Um, but he talks to some—he says, in the midst of a, a, a Satan-infested, demon-infested place, if you please, he said, you, um, you, held, you hold fast to my name. You did not, there are those of you who did not deny my faith. Even when you had one of my faithful, he called him a faithful witness, who was killed among you by the name of Antipas. He says, there were some of you in this church of Pergamum who held fast, who stayed on course, who followed me, who did not allow Satan and all the effects of, of the, um, the wickedness around him to uh, to to uh, cause them to stumble, they stayed fast, even when one of their own was killed. So um, so he says, "This I have. This is a good thing. Thank you for you." Those Jesus says basically, he says, he doesn't say thank you, but he says he says, "But you held fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even though you lived where Satan dwells." On, where Satan also has his throne, if you please. Yeah, and so there's. It's interesting that there's a lot going on here in Pergamum, right? So you said that, of course, there's emperor worship, um, but at the same time, you have all your Roman gods. There was, uh, I believe, there's a throne, a giant throne in Pergamum um, for Zeus. There was right. So there's mm-hmm. there's not only um, there's not only uh, government worship, but then there's worship of false gods and um, mythology and, and and all of these other things. And it's cool to know that we don't experience any of that stuff nowadays. Like here in America, nobody worships government or, you know, these made up uh, crazy, yeah. crazy gods. But, and I think it's interesting too that 
it's the words where Satan dwells. And, and we got to remember that dwelling is, is living, is constant, is, you know, it's not like Satan comes and goes, that this is, you're right in the middle of where he stays. Where he lives. The idea, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, and so it's not, it, it gives the idea in the picture of a constant presence of things that are anti-God. Right. And to the point of having those close to him, people that that they know, that they care about, that they probably follow, look up to, are being killed in the name um, in the name of Jesus. So 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 there was obviously some persecution in this. We don't see a lot of it, but obviously there was persecution that went on in Pergamon as well. Well, and we'll see that in, in any. So here's the thing about Christianity is that it's the it's one of those religions that is not going to be compatible with others. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we see uh, uh, my wife, unfortunately for her, she has to hear me every time we pull up beside, behind somebody who has one of those coexist bumper stickers. Have you seen those? I have. And, and I, <clears throat> I get the idea uh, being that can't we all just get along? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> However, fundamentally, there's some issues. And one of the primary issues is that at the root of Christianity is the Son of God who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Uh-huh. Like you've said many times before, not a way, not a truth, not eh, an option for life. It's, that's it. Uh-huh. And so anytime uh-huh. you make a claim like that, you by default are saying that everything else is wrong. Right, right. People right. don't like that. Right. And so now you have you have um, a group of people who are following Christ in the midst of people that are worshiping the government either A, because they want to, B, because they have to, and regardless of A or B, the government enforces it. They're not going to like being told that there's another way, that there's another truth, that, that there's another way to live. And then on top of that, you have the other religions around them. And so, and so it's, it's not just a matter of they disagree. It's you are fundamentally opposed to everything else around you. And, and Christ makes it a point to say, I see this. I want you to know I'm fully aware of what you're doing and, and really um, praises them for that. Because we're, I mean, we're talking about living, and as believers, we, if we don't pay attention, it's really easy for us to lose this and kind of float down the river of complacency, is that we are smack dab in the middle of a world that is opposed at its core to what it is that we hold fast to. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, like I said, Jesus starts out by saying, I see that. I want you to know that that I see what's going on, but then it turns bad. Yeah, then he goes, <laughs> yeah, it, and and I'm glad you brought that out because it, he gives this commendation, and then he gives what I what I call a, a, a concern, or maybe more uh, strongly a condemnation. And this is a very this this next condemnation, Jared, is something that churches, especially these days 
but really at all times, but especially now, we have to be very, very careful about. And it has to do with compromise. And he says, you want me to go ahead and read this? Yeah, yeah. He says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And, and so, so here's the issue here. There were those, uh, a group there called the Nicolaitans, who basically brought the teachings of Balaam uh, into the, you know, they tried to coexist and bring this into the church. And, um, and Jesus says, I've got some things against you. You've allowed a teaching that, oh, let me back up and tell a story a little bit. In, in Numbers chapter 22 through 25, we have the story of, of, of Balak, Balak. The children of Israel are coming his way in Moab, and he's heard about some things that have happened, and he wants to do everything in his power to stop them from coming through. So he, so he hires Balaam uh, to come in and curse them. Well, I mean, every and Balaam's, Balaam's this prophet, and uh, every time he says, I'll pay you. Whatever it takes, I'll pay you to give a curse. I'm paraphrasing. I'll pay you to curse these people because I don't want them coming through here. And so, uh, and so he tries it and doesn't work, tries it, doesn't work, tries it. And every time the, bless, the curse turns into a blessing, it's, it's the story of the donkey talking. It's yes. really, I, and we're not going <laughs> to get into the, the study of uh, Numbers 22 through 25, but it's some great reading in there. But so what finally happened was that uh, they said, here's what you do. Here's what you do, Bill. Like you get, you get your people to, to become chums <laughs> or good mm -hmm. neighbors or good friends uh, with the Israelites. And, and I'm going to use our vernacular, but uh, come over and have dinner with us. Mm -hmm. However, the problem with that is that they, in Moab, they worshiped, uh, uh, they would worship the idols and they would eat the meat that were sacrificed to these idols. And for Israel, that was not allowed. And so they would come on over and we'll have steak. You know, come on over and, and we'll share with you a little bit of the way we live. Mm -hmm. and, and, and because of that, Israel compromised and lost some 24,000 people. And, and so what Jesus is saying is that it's happening again with the Nicolaitans. There are people that are coming in, and you might want to expound on them a little bit more if you have any, any deep insight on that. But I don't uh, have much deep insight on anything. anything but so. okay, some insight on that. Uh, but but what happened was what what he's saying is just like they buddied up and and got cozy. Uh, the, uh, excuse me, uh, Balak and his folks got cozy mm -hmm. with the Israelites. That's what's happening in the church. And you're allowing things that you would never allow to happen. You're allowing compromise. Now, compromise can be a good thing you know, in, in the sense of, you know, we, we, there's a couple things we disagree on maybe, and we work it out. I'm mm -hmm. not, but when it comes to biblical truth, right. there is no compromise. Right. Worldly compromise is not okay. Um, or in the church. Uh, 
and that's what he's talking about here. And so, and so they they have fallen prey to the same kind of uh, happenings that took place uh, in Numbers chapter twenty two through twenty. 22, 23, 24 to 24, yeah. 25, 25. Well, and, and so we can even look at what's taking place in numbers is, or is you have, or, you know, starting in Exodus, we have the group of people that are making their way to the promised land. So th- this is, this is God's people moving in the direction that he has moved to get to the land that they're going to inhabit, that he's going to fulfill his promise um, that he gave back to Abraham, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years prior to that. Now we're looking at a church who in this time is still as the church, as the body, we're always looking forward to, to the promised land, to Christ's return, to um, being before God in his throne for eternity, worshiping him. And we too are on that on that journey. And I'm not trying to make I hate when people take scripture and try to make it something it's not. So I'm not doing that. But what I am trying to do is paint the picture that since the beginning of time, there as we move towards where it is God wants us to be, as He's growing us, as He's molding us, He's making us, He's He's forming us into His followers, there is always there are always potholes and barriers um, in that process that don't always see that. Here's the thing. They don't always look horrible. We have a tendency to, whenever we talk about sin, whenever we talk about, uh, well, sin, we always go to the extremes. We always want to hang out in like the, the, the fringes, right? Because nobody, nobody that has any, understanding like an, an inkling of understanding of scripture that cares about the perspective of God not a one will say I don't know if murder is really all that bad right <clears throat> nobody will say that mm-hmm. nobody's gonna say that nobody will say you know I, I I don't know that stealing really is that big a deal nobody says that but it's when things start to get closer to the to the inside where where the things of God meet the walk of life right so we have the 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 things over here that when we talk about the things of God I mean yeah those we again we would never kill we never do that's that's just that's horrible that's wrong that's wrong but it's in the compromise that yeah. that the the fault takes place, that yeah. the slipping up takes place. I would be willing to bet, and of course we can't take a travel back in time, but if we sat down with the Israelites back in in the story of, of Balaam and we told them, hey, just so you know that if you start hanging out with the Moabites, you're going to get wrapped up in sexual immorality. They'd say, oh, no big deal. Let's go do it anyway. No, right, right. right? Because they knew uh-huh. they knew that that was wrong. Uh-huh. But where they messed up were the things where they're kind of like, eh, is it really that big a deal? Yeah, we want to get along with these people. Yeah. You so know. is it that yeah. big a deal? And so as as the church, as the individuals that make up the 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 body of Christ and are to follow the one who we are, you know, named after, 
how many things in our walk individually are we willing to compromise on thinking it's not that big of a deal because it's not killing, stealing. But here's what's happened in the church and that you bring everything you said is so, you know, it was a incremental. It was a little bit this and a little bit that about 50 years ago. Um, I re, uh, you know, I remember I was 15, but I didn't remember a whole lot about this, but I begin to see they were making statements. Uh, there's a group out there called Barna research who does research mm-hmm. on, and one of the big uh, problems was people aren't going to church anymore. Okay. So they say, and they're saying, so pastors and smart people will, would sit down around the table and say, well, if people aren't going to church anymore, how do we fill the pews? How do we get more people into the church? And so they say, well, we've got to change some things. And when they change some things, not everything was a big deal. It wasn't a biblical issue at that point. Right. But what happened over time is, is that people started saying, well, the, they, they changed the objective. The objective of the church is to do what? To make disciples who make disciples. The objective of the church is to preach the gospel. Paul talks about that. And uh, when if you pervert the gospel, well, he let him be accursed. Yep. He says the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching the word, how do you make disciples? You teach them to, to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with mm-hmm. you to the end of the world. That's the gospel. But what happened is, little by little over the years, and some of the, the earlier uh, I, I think church growth movements, I don't, I think they had the right heart. I think they wanted to get the gospel. And so they would say, you know, how do we make the gospel? There may be some issues in the Bible about this statement, but how do we make the gospel, you know, where people understand and that make it, how do we make it clearer and that kind of thing? However, what happened over the years is that rather than getting people to Jesus Christ, we've changed our objective to getting people in the church. Mm-hmm. And because we changed that objective objective of getting people into the church, we say, here's what we say in our minds. We'll do anything in our power to get them into the church. And whenever we say that, the gospel gets put aside. I was my Robin, my wife and I were watching a program about contemporary Christian music. And how in its early stages, these people just loved God and they wanted to do something a little bit different. However, over time, it became an industry. It no longer became about the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It became about the artist and about the great songs they wrote. I just think we have to be careful these days that we don't miss the boat on what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to fill seats in the church. We are supposed to preach the gospel to the lost and disciple people. Jesus said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men into you. And so and so I, I, I know this can be even controversial, but it shouldn't be because the Bible is our standard. The Bible is our uh, handbook for life, if you please. And when we begin to say it's not that important, or we rename it, mm-hmm. or we, or we discount parts of it, 
you know, because it doesn't fit. Or we say, I know these verses. I know the Bible says and says this or says that. And, you know, and we, and we discard it. Then we, then we've allowed compromise into the church and we say, Hey, but we got a lot of people in church. We have a youth group and it doesn't teach the cross. It teaches everything else. It's a great social club, but my kids are in church, but they're not but they're hearing not, about they're Christ. <laughs> they're not growing. I'm sorry. I'm on a little hobby horse now, but, <laughs> but, um, but it's so important. And that's what happened to this church. They allowed a group of people to come in and pollute the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, well, and while you're talking, it it reminded me a little of of James' letter as he's writing the Jews that that are, you know are believers and they're and they're dispersed. And as he gets into his letter, he starts talking about um, the importance of of being humble and really submitting yourself to God. So God opposes the proud. But he pours grace out on the humble, right? And he and he talks about resisting the devil, and the devil will flee. Draw near to God. You know, there's these stark contrasts, and nothing in the middle. It's flee from this, draw to this. But it's made me think of uh, in chapter four, in verse thirteen, he starts talking. He says, James starts. He's writing. He says, "Come now, you who say today or tomorrow." We'll go. Uh, we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, "If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that." As it is, you boast in your ignorance or your arrogance. Excuse me. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. And the whole reason that even came to my mind is this, is that in the midst of compromises, when we start leaning on our plans, Mm. on our master plan, right? And that's that's when we know, that's kind Mm. of an indicator that we know we're moving into that. And James is warning them. Mm -hmm. Jesus is, is here warning the church that don't, and going back to um, you know Proverbs three five and six, the whole leaning on your own understanding. What James is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that when you find yourself leaning on your best thinking, when you find yourself in a situation going, like, I know this may not be the best, but is it really that bad? Or we can even go to the other side of it looks awfully pretty, so it must be okay. Um, and and we do that in, in church, and that's why you know. Talking about when James, and I'm going back to James one more time, when he talks about the teaching, not everybody should be teachers, right? And he, and he says all this because he's, he's making a point that there's a certain place that you need to be spiritually to be the proper kind of teacher. Uh-huh. The, the relationship right. that you need to have with God to share what is proper. Because we have people that walk into our churches that walk into our services on Sundays, and for many of them at this point in their life, that is the extent of, and we don't never, we never wanted to stay there, but it's the extent of the scripture that they're getting. It's the extent of the theological training that they're experiencing. And so if what we are putting out corporately and individually is in opposition or compromise to the scriptures, we are setting them on a track yeah. 
yeah. down the wrong path. Yeah. I mean, we could we could just be a degree or two off. But mm-hmm. as that yeah. journey continues, it continues to widen. And and Jared, that is why I guess I get a little amped up here because I begin to see that probably about eight to ten years ago. I I looked at our church and I I would our church was a kind of church that you know we wanted to reach people sure we wanted to fill the, the nothing bad I mean my doctrine has never changed right. what I believe however I began to see people more about coming to church and they're and they were living in some some horrible sin I began to see some people who would come to church and they would they would put on Facebook, you know, Pastor Steve, you really talked to my heart, but they were living in some horrific mm-hmm. sin and they've allowed compromise. And I had to stop. We went to the mountains of North Carolina and, and God got a hold of my heart and said, wait a minute, I didn't call you to build an organization. I didn't call you to fill pews. I called you to preach the gospel. I called you to make disciples. And so when I read this, this church of Pergamum, I, I had to look at myself and say, what have I allowed? God has given me this awesome responsibility to pastor. He's given this incredible opportunity to share his word. And, and, and I'm diluting it. Or I'm not on purpose. Right. Not on purpose. You know, and I think this is true with this church. Mm-hmm. I don't think they did this on purpose. I I think it happened gradually, as you were talking about yeah. earlier, over time, and they just started becoming good buddies with the Moabites. Yeah. And uh and so I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to go on a tangent <laughs> there, but 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 I see this, and Jesus does give here a wonderful, wonderful uh uh, call. They yeah, call he doesn't leave them there. The church. And, uh, and he didn't me either. Exactly. And, you know, exactly. So are you ready? Did you have anything else? No, or? go ahead. Okay. And uh, let's see. We're on verse, let's see. 16. 16. And here's what he says to do. And we could stop after this second word. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> repent. Yeah. Repentance. It's, I, I, I may butcher the Greek word, but it's Metneo or something, something to that nature, which means to change your mind. Uh, I like to say it. It's like this. It's like I'm walking east, and God says, "No, I want you to go west." Right. And I turn around. I I, I no longer look at where I'm going anymore. I turn around and say, "God, wherever you say go, I go." And so repentance is so important. And we, we don't even teach it so much in our churches anymore. We look at it as a bad word. Mm-hmm. But you cannot find freedom without repentance. Right. You know, you can't find forgiveness without repentance. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I didn't mean to <laughs> preach there, but let me move on. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the what? The sword of my mouth, the judgment of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, To the one who conquers, some translations say overcomers, to the believer, basically. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone uh, with a new name written on the stone, 
that no one knows except the one who receives it. So back to repentance. He says, repent. And uh, if you don't, you, you face judgment, church. Yep. If you're compromising, you're going the wrong way. I have the, had that happen in my life. And God says, if you don't, you, if you don't repent, it, there's going to be consequences. And in this case, if they didn't repent and turn to Christ, some of them were not followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about coming back, coming to Christ. And so he says, um, we're repent. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Church says, in other words, if you have ears, if you're here reading this letter, you're hearing this letter, mm-hmm. you're the one to listen. And he says, he says, if you do repent, though, basically, I'll do three things. I love this. He says, um, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, what was manna back in the Old Testament? The stuff that fell from the sky, right? Yeah, they, I call them the Krispy Kreme donuts. Right? <laughs> or, I mean, technically it is, what is it? Mm-hmm. That's what manna means. What is it? Because it was something yeah. mm-hmm. that they had never had before. Mm-hmm. And it was something they had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. It was a unique gift from God to sustain them. Daily. That they had daily, yeah. yes, that they had never experienced before. They but had no idea what it was. You and I both know that when they ate it, it got them through the day. The day. That was it. Mm-hmm. Those people didn't live forever. Yeah. But what Jesus is talking about here, he, he says to this church, if you repent, if you, if you, if you come to me, he says, uh, um, he says, I will give you the hidden, who is what? The bread of life. Yes. You read John 6. John 6 talks about Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. He says, like, like your forefathers in the desert, they ate the manna, but, but they died. If you partake of this, if you partake of me is what he's saying, you will never die. And that's what Jesus says. If you repent, I will give you Christ, I will, who is the bread of life. Uh, any comment on that before I go to the next mm-hmm. one? And then he says, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And this is interesting because uh, back in, 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 if I hope I get this right, in Roman days, when in order to get access to the banquets, the athletes who did the Olympics kind of sports, to get to the banquets where they would celebrate the victory, they had to have this white stone with their name engraved on it. And that was like a, like a pass. When I, I shared in church, uh, when I was a kid, if you're from Boone or Blowing Rock area, there's the Tweetsie Railroad. And uh, the kids love to go to that. And years ago, my, some of my family sold land to the Tweetsie Railroad. And so they gave them a little medallion kind of uh, uh, coin. And when they went to the gates, they could get in free forever. You know, as long as they had that, it was a free pass to the Tweetsie Railroad. And we, my family, when I was a little kid, we'd go and he, his name was Johnny Payne and Johnny would show it to the people at the Tweetsie and we'd get in for free. That's one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Just so you know, Johnny, Johnny Payne. Payne. Yeah, like he should be singing for related his own punk to you. Rock yeah, that's <laughs> lives fantastic. in North Carolina. He's related to you, and um, but that would but that got us in. But and so that's the picture here. The picture is when hey, you will get the bread of life, who is Christ, and I will give you access. I'll give you the stone with a new name written on it, 
and it will gain new entrance into my presence, Jesus says. So amazing. And so the, amazing. That's the product of repentance. Right. Like that, right. that word that we don't like so much <clears throat> because it seems mean and and has been misused and, and, and mishandled. That's the product of repentance. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's great, yeah, with a new name on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. And so he tells this church, you may be neck deep and compromised, but there's a way out. And maybe somebody's listening, and there's something they know, they're believers, and they know they're compromising. The, the good news that was given to the church at Pergamum, or Pergamus, whatever you call it, is given to them as well. And they can, they can, um, they can have, they can repent. Yeah. And God can give them access to his presence. It's a powerful, powerful truth. You want to move on? Yeah, let's roll. Now, this is a long, this is the longest, uh, uh, in a small town, actually, Thyatira. As we go on the, you know, the mail route, Asia Minor, you know, we, we already talked about it, Ephesus, and then Smyrna, and then uh, Pergamum, and now we go to the, the small town. It was kind of a town that, uh, uh, that that shadowed to the other bigger towns. It was the town of Thyatira. And here's what here's what verse 18 tells us. Now I'm I'm gonna stop somewhere in this because this is this one's long, so we'll try to try to hit this uh, pretty quick. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, I love this, who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The eyes, a fire, a flame of fire, are like eyes that can see, see everywhere. You know? And so Jesus, as he says, he says, I, I, can, I see what's going on in your life. You're not hiding anything from me, church. I know what's going on in your private life. I know what's going on in your public life. I know what's going on in your entire life. And then he says, and then he says, um, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And that is a representation of the bringing on of judgment. Uh, the br- uh, burnished means the rubbing bronze. In other words, feet that are going into battle to pronounce judgment on the enemy. Do you have anything, anything on that? No. Huh? Okay. okay. Well, then we'll move. Keep going. Uh, I know your works. Your love and faith and, and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So they said, so they said, we've got, uh, I think, four or five things here that you're doing pretty good. Your works, some translations say your deeds, your love, unlike the church at Ephesus who'd lost his first love, uh, based on this verse, they had. Uh, grown in their love they they were uh moving forward in loving uh there was a remnant in this church that was um that that uh was a people of faith who were trusting god and they were serving the the sick were uh being uh d- taken care of the the needy was their needs were being met and and uh, the poor was being uh, ministered to and patient endurance in other words you, you, you guys are hanging in there, even though it's tough. You, you're staying strong. even And in fact, not only are you hanging in there, but you're growing. Uh, in fact, these works, your later works, are more 
significant and more um, uh, more powerful and better than the first. And so that's the commendation or the or, or the, um, the the words of encouragement that he gives to this church. Do you have any thoughts on on that? Well, I, the only I think the only thing that I, that I want to say, and, and we see it in the other churches, we're about to see it here as we move forward, is that in the midst of so the majority of the churches that are talked about out of the seven, there is that. Here's what I have against you. And it's bad stuff. I mean, it, I mean, when we sit back and look at it and, and really think about it, I mean, these are these are horrible things to have to hear the Son of God saying, Here, this is what I see going on in, in your church, in my body, in the lives that are going on. But there's always a group. Right. Like he ne- that Jesus never turns his back on his church he he continues to stay so when he comes in judgment he's coming in judgment to call out that which is hurting his church it's it's not that jesus even though he has full right to it's not jesus just showing up wanting to right to destroy mm-hmm. things he's not showing up just wanting to cause problems wreak havoc it's he he hates he hates the sin that is taking place. And he loves and he them loves too much. the people in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Too much to, to leave it alone. And so he's going to chase after those he loves. Mm-hmm. He's going to discipline his children. And right? these are all things that we read about in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to point that out as we see the presentation of Jesus as the one that's bringing judgment. And yet he takes the time to say, Again, as you did in the, in the others, I recognize what you're doing. That is that is good, and I want you to stay with that. And and and, and I'm proud of you. Hang in there. Keep doing what you're doing. But we've got to deal with this. Yeah, there are some false churches even now uh, who have compromised, and and we'll look at the next one who yeah. tolerated sin. But there is a remnant of people in some of those uh, fellowships who are hopefully trying to change the, the tide and trying to change uh, what's going on. but And so they're very frustrated. So in the church of Thyatira, Jesus says, there's some of you and you're growing in your, in your, in your work of, for Christ. You're growing in, in um, some good things. But then he says this. He says that I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sex, sexual immorality. Listen what he says. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw her into great tribulation unless they repent uh, of her works." And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to, you, to your works. Uh, he's just kind of saying, he's saying, okay, you, there are some, and he even gives us some specific, um, some specific, I better keep my glasses on, specific uh, sins that they were 
uh, getting involved with. And he used the term or he used the name Jezebel. Do you know anybody named Jezebel? Never there's met a, a single person named there's Jezebel. There's a reason for it. Right. <laughs> it's not good. And, and what he, he's drawn from the Old Testament uh, book of First Kings. And we know a lot of first, in First Kings, like 18, we know the story of uh, uh, Elijah. And he's, mm. you know, how he, he said, you know, three and a half years, no rain. And the rain comes back. Well, the his major uh, contender, his major uh, opposition was Ahab, of course, the king of uh, Israel, but also Jezebel. And Jezebel was noted for, you know, bringing in the, the prophets of Baal. Baal was kind of a picture of greed and prosperity. And they talk about build, building up an Asherah, which has to do with sexual immorality. Is mm -hmm. These were the gods that they worshipped. And, um, and, and so Jezebel was the arch enemy, if you please, of Elijah. And you remember the story in 1 Kings 18 where Elijah says, uh, okay, um, I'm going to show you who God is. I'm paraphrasing. There's a whole lot there. Read it. Right. Read the Bible. <laughs> um, but but he says, uh, I'll show that my God is will do a contest on Mount Carmel. And this was a mountain that they got together and they said, OK, who, we're going to build an altar to our God and whoever's God consumes the altar with fire will be the true God and the others will die. And so uh, Elijah says, OK, uh, you go first. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, I mean, they're screaming and crying. And, you know, they start out kind of calm. They build their altar, you know, and they start out kind of calm. But nothing gets the fire doesn't start. Uh, nothing gets consumed. And so the the uh, the, uh, the the they amp up their uh their cry to their, their God, yeah. their intensity gets deeper. And, you know, and, and it's like Elijah sits over there and says, you know, is your God gone on vacation or what? He says a whole lot of things. Yeah, I'm does. not going to get into everything, <laughs> but, but he says, you know, what's with your God? He's not showing up. And so finally they, they give out. I mean, they're cutting them themselves, all kinds of crazy, crazy things. And then Elijah, he, uh, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. He builds his altar. And he says, I want you to pour 12 barrels of water on our altar. Each, each barrel representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he miraculously calls fire from heaven and consumes the altar. The 400, make a long story short, the 450 prophets of Baal are destroyed and Elijah and his God prevail. Well, in chapter 19, Jezebel comes to Elijah and she says, you know, you really ticked me off. Mm -hmm. In fact, by tomorrow at this time, you're going to, um, you're going to be dead. And so Elijah, I don't know why, I mean, he's already proven the power of God. He just takes off. There's more to this story, but, but Jezebel was a one who, who, uh, turned away, turned people away from, um, from God the God of Israel to worship. And he, she turned them to the prophets of Baal and this kind of thing. And, and it uses the term Jezebel. And I don't think that was her name, right? but it was a likened into the Jezebel of the old Testament. This Jezebel was doing much of the same thing by causing people to go into 
uh, idol worship and sexual immorality. Maybe she, there, the, the trade guilds were big back then. You know, where they manufactured all kinds of things. Uh, linen, we know. I think it's Lydia, in the mm-hmm. Book of Acts was she's from Thyatira. So they were they had that some big industries and these trade guilds uh, were were connected with the Roman cult kind of worship, and maybe a lot of that was she was bringing that into the church. I'm not sure, but I do know that her influence, uh, she bullied people. She tried to um, just pull them away from the true God. And so Jesus addresses her and this sect that is disrupting the church. Now, I don't know what each individual prophet of Baal from back in in the First Kings uh, account what their lives were like, what they grew up in as far as, you know. But here's what we know. At some point, that's just the prophets. I'm not even talking about the, the people that were worshiping Baal and following them. But at some point, what was brought to the table was convincing enough that these people took the challenge, number one. Number two, went to as far as to mutilating themselves, crying out to a false god. Something along the line, somewhere along the line, something caused them to be persistent and convicted, a false conviction of, we need to follow this. And they, they were adamant. They meant it. They were, uh, but they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And they were led to that point. And so Jesus brings us this story in talking, in talking to this church. He's saying, okay, so, so here's what's happening inside my group of people, just like it did for the Israelites, who, of course, were God's people uh, at the beginning of that story, right? So, but my group of people that I've called out, that I'm walking in, in the sanctification process, somebody is convincing them to go against mm. in my church. So it's it's not just a different idea. It's a mm-hmm. I'm selling out to this mm-hmm. what, what's being brought to the table. And Jesus makes it very clear that he's not going to tolerate it. Right. Right. I mean there's there's well, not he, you can read this and and all kinds of things are, you're going to say something else, but, but he tells them what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. He says, um, he says, uh, you, he, I will throw uh, and those who commit adultery with her. In other words, I think that has to do with just join in with her, be a, you know, mm-hmm. connect with her. I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent. And by the way, he gives her and them an opportunity to repent. Those uh, who intentionally went in right. to derail he says, unless, the followers of Christ. Yeah, unless they repent, he says, and I will, and then he not only says, I'll strike her children. I mean, this is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I'll strike her children and all the churches will know. Just like they did when Elijah had the, the contest at Carmel. They will know that I look what he, I love what he says here. He says, and they will uh, th- know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works, which is judgment. Yes, because the works never 
never uh, measure up. And so, um, so that's a, do you have anything else on that? Or? No, we okay. can. Yeah. And then he says this. Let's go to verse 24 because we are getting, getting late on time. But the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay, uh, excuse me, I do not lay on you any other burden. Deep things of Satan. Let's just kind of pause and talk about that. What are the deep things of Satan? He, the, the only picture I can see is, is, is somebody who, it, it's kind of pre-Gnosticism, and the Gnostics believe that the body was, you know, the body and all of its sin was just kind of free to kind of do whatever it wanted, but the spirit is what connected to God. So you can do it. In other words, you can live however you want to live as long as you maybe profess this or that. We see that in our world today mm -hmm. as well. And so the deep things of Satan is I'm just kind of jumping into sin. I'm doing what I want in sin because I know my spirit's for God kind of thing. And my feelings are good. Yeah. My yeah. intentions are yeah. good. Yeah, right, right. You're right. <laughs> well, because what we do is we have this, we have this horrible, horrible uh, habit of we like to read our feelings into Scripture versus check our feelings against scripture. Yeah. Right. So what yeah. we do is we'll, we'll, we'll have experiences. And if the experience was, it felt good, then we'll attribute it to God. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't, then we'll attribute it to Satan. Um, instead of saying, wait a minute, what, what are my, what decisions am I making? What am I feeling? What experiences am I putting myself in? Are, are, Am I putting myself, excuse me, in places where the Bible says don't put myself in? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and so that's what comes to my mind when I read this, like the deep things of Satan. It's, it really is, again, I, you know, the, the killing, stealing, it, I don't think those are the deep things of Satan. Mm -hmm. Those are the easy things. It may things result in that. Well, yeah, yeah sure. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, nobody wakes up one day and says, I think today I'm going to be a serial killer. Mm -hmm. right? There's a process. Mm -hmm. Right. That we right. that that a person James one fifteen when yep. lust has conceived, and that may take a while. Mm -hmm. It brings forth sin, and that may you may live in that a while and think there's no big deal, but sin when it's finished, it brings forth death, and that's what happens in our next church, by yeah. the way. But but uh, I'm sorry, Andy, but go no, ahead. no. But I'm saying that's that's those are the things that come to my mind when you start talking about the deep things of Satan. Are, are the little tiny seeds of of you know because when you look back at, at Genesis 3 when you look back at the fall it, the serpent didn't say god's a liar mm. he didn't say god's stupid mm. don't talk to him he's the biggest jerk in the world mm. he says well did he really say that mm. he just questioned what god said he didn't attack god he wasn't blatant about it mm. he just questioned him yeah and so that's where the deep things happen is in the little yeah. is in the little questions Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but the ones that aren't going to, to fall to that, right. Who aren't going to, to, to fall to those deep things of Satan. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast. Ah, love that. <laughs> what hey, you have until I come. Hold in other fast. words, keep believing the truth, no matter how you feel, mm -hmm. no matter what the circumstances and the environment tells you, no matter no matter what people in the church may say, yeah. 
hold fast, he says, um, what you what you have have until I come, and then he gives the good news. Mm-hmm. If you do, here's what the payoff is. Here's the the wonderful wonderful results. He says, the one, the the one who conquers. And again, I say the word con- the ESV uses the term conquers. Other translations use overcomers. It simply means those who are true believers mm-hmm. is what it really means. Though the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end doesn't mean I keep my work and then this happens. It means I keep this work because of what Christ has done yes. in me. Uh, to him, I will give authority over the nations. Oh, I love this last part. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is taken out of Psalm uh, got to get our chapter 2, I think, verses 7 and 8. This is the reference. This is where they get it from. Or Jesus is quoting from. Uh, it says, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That rod is a picture, Jared, of a, of a shepherd's stat- rod. In other words, as the wolves or the beasts that are trying to devour the sheep are coming, the shepherd stands with the rod, and he uses it to, to ward off the, uh, the enemy. And then out of iron, 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 right? That will not be broken, right? Will not be broken, right? As earth and uh, earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star is Jesus Christ. We used to sing, "He's the lily of." I won't do it on the podcast, <laughs> but he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. We need to get John to come up with like a, a ukulele or something. Yeah. And he can come play for you, and yeah. you can sing your your song. <laughs> and I will give him the morning star. In other words, in other words, what will happen? He's talking about the millennial reign, and he's ta- in the millennial reign. He, if you read, uh, I believe it's Revelation. Oh, I I got to look at the verses twenty eleven. I'm not sure in chapter twenty, but it talks about that when Christ comes back, we are we will be with him as priests of God mm-hmm. and we will rule and reign with Christ. And I believe that in the millennial reign, that based on our faithfulness, based on our uh, pure motives, based on our uh, desire to follow Christ, that we will be assigned different responsibilities in the millennial reign. I believe that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I believe that when the judgment seat of Christ, it's not a judgment you've done anything wrong because Christians will never be judged for their sin. Mm -hmm. That was judged on the cross. But Christians, but their works will be put into the fire, so to speak. And those works that were genuine will be uh, not wood, hay, and stubble. That burns, but as 1 Corinthians 3, gold, silver, and precious stone. And so in the millennial reign, here's what he's saying. Those of those that were are believe true believers will rule and reign with Christ, who will the morning star who will be there right with us, right with us. He, that'll be the glory of it all. That we will, you know, because people ask, what do I do? What am I going to do in heaven? Or what am I going to do at the millennial reign? We just going to float around in clouds or what? No, we're going to be part of the the system that Christ sets up. We're going to be part of his kingdom, ruling and reigning, whatever he, I believe, based on what we're doing now. I believe that the works that we do, our works don't save us. Never have, never will. Okay. 
but they do count for something in the millennial reign. So we'll get into all that. <laughs> There's more to it in the scriptures. But then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit. In other words, um, those of you with ears, listen. Mm -hmm. you know, what I'm about to say is important. So. Well, I think that's it. That's it. Do you have anything else on that? Any other? <laughs> I don't have anything else to add. I think we've gone long enough. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say this before we end. I, if you don't mind, I'll just close in prayer. Uh, I want to say thank my other son, Jonathan, who uh, does all the recording and everything. He does an incredible job. And, and he's the behind-the-scenes guy. No, no, nobody ever hears about him. But I do appreciate him and and Jessica, she does the kind of opening. And so it's kind of a family thing, and it's been wonderful. And I believe the best is yet to come as we unveil the, the scriptures and as we dive into God's word. Let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for your word. And these churches whom you expose for us, not for the purpose of shame, not for the purpose of of, um, of anything, but, but to teach us that as long as we are in this church age and we're a part of your church, that, Father, we need to watch out for certain things. May we learn from the church of Ephesus uh, to be faithful and true to the word, but not to lose our first love, who is Christ. May we learn from Smyrna that even though the pressures from the outside are hard upon us, we stay faithful to you. Father, may we learn from the church of, of Pergamum that, uh, that, that we can work and, and, and be faithful to you, and may we not allow compromise to enter. May we learn from the church of Thyatira that uh, when we allow sin to stay in the church, that it pollutes it pollutes all that's going on. However, when we repent, uh, Father, when we follow you with our, 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 all our might and our strength and our lives, that one day we will get to rule and reign with you. Father, it's not based on works, but it's based on the work that was done for us on Calvary. We thank you for your biblical, wonderful truths, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. for joining us tonight on this episode of Unveiling the Scriptures. My name is Jessica, and we'll see you next time.